Good morning. My name is Elise Postma. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Revelation. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from chapter 3, verses 15 through 20 from the New International Version. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And... Have to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. The word of the Lord. Children, kindergarten through fifth grade are now dismissed to Sunday school, and thank you to our teachers in the back who faithfully teach them each and every week. My senior year of college, I took a class called Religious Thinkers. And up until this point in my academic career, I will confess, I had never done all the reading for class. I don't encourage this to our students in the audience. I got by with cliff notes. I would con my friends into summarizing the reading for me. And then I would thumb through the book and pull out random quotes that seemed to support my thesis making it appear I had read the book cover to cover until I took this class. Then it all changed. I was drawn in by these deep thinkers of the faith and devoured the books. This was an 8 a.m. class, and I was that kid, the one who raised their hand for every question that the professor posed and would end up having a one-on-one conversation with the professor in front of the whole sleepy class. My enthusiasm and zealous spirit for the reading was what prompted my professor to tell me that I needed to go to seminary one day, but he also offered me the opportunity to lead the spiritual retreat for the graduating seniors for that year. My professor brought along a good friend of his on the retreat to lead the music, and I happened to sit next to him for our three-hour journey to the retreat site. I was asking him about his life. And unfortunately, he was going through some hard and heavy times in his marriage. I will never forget what he told me on that van ride. He said, do not worry one day, Elise, if your spouse gets angry with you. Anger is an emotion driven by passion. There is something ignited within them. They have concern for you to make them angry. It is when they are indifferent to you when they no longer care what time you get home, what you have done, and they go about their lives as if you don't even exist. This is when it gets serious and potentially unsalvageable. He told me it's hard to relight a fire that has gone out. Thinking about this scripture passage this morning from the book of Revelation, this man's description of the demise of a marriage was a picture for me of what it must look like to be, as scripture puts it, lukewarm. Going about our daily lives with the knowledge that God exists, but it really has little effect 
on how we order our day, spend our money, or use our time. We are neutral to God's existence. And the scary part, as one preacher put it, is we don't even seem to mind. Even God's warning, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. It doesn't even rattle us. My oldest child is turning three in a few days. I've been warned about the three-nager, and it's already begun. She talks back. She points her finger at me and says, no, I'm the boss. And our warnings of consequences of what will happen because of her bad behavior, she doesn't seem to take notice until those said consequences come into action. Then she melts down, pleads for us to change our mind, and it is only then that she is remorseful for what she has done. And it is so hard to give in. But I know it is for her best for her to experience these consequences so that the next time she won't do the same mistake. I have seen firsthand how a child turns out when the parent allows them to be in charge. He or she grows into the worst kind of adult. Amen, right? It's for this reason that our scripture reminds us that it is those whom God loves that God rebukes and disciplines in a desire to make us the best versions of ourselves that we can be, producing fruits of the Spirit, loving and through our lives directing people to the truth that God loves us and desires the best for us. But it does take work and discipline on our part. So how did some of us get to this place of lukewarmness? The Apostle John, the author of Revelation, he reveals it to us. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The church of Laodicea, to which this letter was written, was placed within a very affluent community. It is recorded that in 60 AD, the city was destroyed by a massive earthquake, and the citizens declined assistance from Rome and rebuilt the city with their own wealth and resources. This is telling of what this people group was like, self-sufficient, in need of no one's help but their own. As one commentator put it, however admirable this independence might be in material things. In the spiritual realm, self-sufficiency means destruction. And we aren't so different today. Americans love their self-sufficiency. This country was founded on principles of individual rights and freedoms. From the very beginning, we wanted to govern how we lived our own lives and do it the way that we think best. And this is not necessarily all bad, but it does present a hurdle for us in our relationship with God when we apply those same principles. We can create a world where we are blind to seeing our need for God and blind to seeing our neighbor's needs. 
In developing countries where faith is proclaimed, the people cry out to God on a daily basis for their food, to keep them safe from the violence that surrounds them and to prosper the work of their hands, to provide just enough to clothe, to shelter, and to feed them. This is not true for many of us in this room. We are confident that there will be food in our cupboards, that our backs will not only be clothed with clothing, but with the finest and the best, and often in excess. We look in the mirror for who will provide for our family, and we trust in our own knowledge and wisdom for the best ways to lead our lives. I was recently researching how much Americans spend on the different holidays throughout the year. This past year, Americans spent $7 billion on food alone for the 4th of July. 125 million of that was on mustard alone. We spent nearly $21 billion on Valentine's Day and a whopping $465 billion on Christmas. What struck me is when Jesus talks about the rich in Scripture, he is talking about you and he is talking about me. We as a society have enough money to spend $72 billion on pets alone. That's more than the combined GDP of 39 of the poorest countries in the world. And that's on our pets. In the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus has a conversation with the young man and tells the man, go, sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I am not one who believes wealth in and of itself is evil, but I think without being conscious of it, it does have a power to have a negative effect on our lives. It can lead us into a false sense of security, worshiping goods and the created rather than the creator. We are tempted to find our identity in it, use it as an authority and power over others, and hoard it for ourselves. It can create in us a scarcity mentality, and when we have plenty, we can think we do not have enough. But perhaps the worst thing that wealth can do for us is creating us a lukewarm spiritual need, leading us to believe that God is someone who loves us, but our need for God is minimal at best. A good friend of mine and fellow pastor told me this story once about her son who was four or five years old at the time. His name is Harry, and they live in Chicago, Illinois. She said one day they were driving in the car and it was winter time. It was snowing outside and they had stopped at a traffic light. Harry saw outside of his window a man experiencing homelessness, sheltering himself from the snow with a cardboard box. My friend embarrassingly admitted she did not even see the man until Harry pointed him out. Mom, 
Why is that man out there in the snow under a cardboard box? She said, well, Harry, it appears he doesn't have a home. Harry was aghast. Why doesn't he have a home, Mom? Well, homes cost a lot of money, Harry, and maybe he doesn't have enough. Harry responded, well, we've got money, Mom. Why don't you just give it all to him? My friend explained to her son that they needed their money to buy groceries, to pay for their own home, and to pay for their own needs. Harry's, Harry said to his mom, but I have a jar in my bedroom full of money, and we don't use it for any of those things. I want to give it all to him. Harry's mom was conflicted, for she didn't want Harry to give away his life savings, but at the same time, she wanted to raise a generous son. So she agreed. They went home, and while Harry grabbed all of his money, my friend put together a meal for this man, and they returned to the sight of him, huddled in his cardboard box as the snow piled up around him. My friend recalls the man being very gracious and humbled as Harry offered over his money and said, now go and buy yourself a home. But he was not willing to accept this gesture from such a young boy. He encouraged Harry to continue to save his money and told Harry, this is the most generous gift I have ever received in my entire life. It is always humbling when a preschooler is more generous than I have ever been in my entire life. Certainly, Harry was not lukewarm. Harry trusted in someone bigger to take care of his needs recognized the own excess in his own life and wanted to use it to care for someone else. As a pastor at this church, I feel called to be honest with you. I have been discouraged and at times disenchanted by the lack of servanthood in this place. It seems I see the same faces and names sign up to serve, to give of their time and talents in this place. I dread when events like Vacation Bible Camp are looming, and I know it will be an uphill battle to fill all the volunteer spots. And as I speak to other pastors and other churches, this is the same hardship that they share. However, God has recently revealed this truth to me. There may be some of us in this room who once had a fire for God, who once had been, would have been defined as hot or cold, but we have allowed ourselves to become lukewarm, indifferent to the reality of God's existence in our world. We are no longer, as scripture put it, compelled by the love of Christ. And without love and a belief that this work changes the world, we lack the motivation of being part of what God is doing. We show up when we want to, we participate when it's convenient, and we sacrifice very little to be a part of this community. As I prepared this sermon, I found myself reflecting on discipline, matters of the heart, and most of all, love. I was reminded of what John wrote, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever hates his brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God. And what Paul says to the church in Corinth of what love is, 
If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding kong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. God is not looking for you to demonstrate that you are hot or cold by your acts of service, hours or money that you spend at church, or or by how you sacrifice your time to do good works. For these all come back to the sin of self-reliance and a trust in our own ability. But when our hearts are consumed by the love of God, when we truly believe in God's existence and that God is a powerful change agent within this world, when we center our lives on that relationship, what flows from it is life-giving and life-altering. It is then we will find ourselves wanting to give all that we have to serve this God who gave all that he had to serve us. This morning we will receive communion a meal that was provided to us by Christ himself. He gave us the bread and the cup that we would be reminded of his immense love for us. We eat this meal, acknowledging our desperate need for Christ to save us, to open our eyes that we may see our great need for him. It is also a time for us to reflect on our own walk with God, to examine our hearts and our minds. Could you truthfully say you are either hot or cold? Or do you find yourself to be lukewarm this morning? Hear these words of what God is saying to us. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will eat with them, and they will eat with me. These are the powerful words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whose mercies are new each and every morning. And we might not be able to ignite a fire that has gone out, but by the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that fire can be relit again in each of us. Amen. It is now our sacred privilege to come to this, the Lord's table. Come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come, not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Let us pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. 
we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our, son, our sins through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Strengthen in us all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us into your eternal life. Amen. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as they were given to the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what was handed down to me, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night on which he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit on these gifts, that they may be the sacrament of the body of Christ and the blood of the new covenant. Unite us to your Son in his death and resurrection, that we may be acceptable through him, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ, and bring us to the heavenly feast, where with all your saints we will be gathered in glory everlasting. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the church, and the author of our salvation. By him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen.